put that coffee down. Coffee is for creators only. My name is James Newcomb, and I'm inviting you to an exclusive accountability program that will help you set and achieve your creative goals. It costs nothing but your time and patience. Go to coffeeisforcreators.com to learn more. It's the story of the trumpet in the words of those who play it. What is it about this crazy mass of metal tubing that makes us laugh, cry, want to flat out quit at times, and then keep coming back for more? My name is James Newcomb, and I am thrilled to host this show that brings on world-famous, not-famous, and everything-in-between trumpeters to share what keeps the trumpet blowing and the music flowing. It's the Trumpet Dynamics Podcast, and it begins now. Welcome, one, welcome all to Trumpet Dynamics. My name is James Newcomb coming into your earballs. And what a treat it is to bring onto the show Mr. Dana, Dennis Denny Edelbrock. He is the uh, long time, you're now retired, are you correct? Oh, yes, I am. Okay, oh, so yeah. you've been retired from the U.S. Army Pershing Zone Band for, but you did you did your time. I with did 35. It, 35 years. Yeah. And, uh, but probably the way that most people know of Denny, maybe not by name, but you may have heard of this little trumpet competition that happens every year called the National Trumpet Competition. And Denny actually uh, started that, from what I understand, years and years and years ago. And I've spoken to many people on this show or uh, other projects that I've had throughout the years, and um, you know, they're obviously younger uh, they're they're younger folks. I mean, they're you know I don't know maybe thirty, but they've either won or they've placed very well in the national trumpet competition, and they just speak the the experience speaks volumes. I mean, for these uh, kids, when they do it, they're kids. It's a defining moment for them to either win or or to be a finalist or place well in a competition such as this. So. Um, my hat is off to you. I mean, we, we're going to talk to talk about the competition in a bit, but uh, you've obviously left your your mark on the trumpet community. So my hat is off to you. Well, thanks, James. Yes, the uh, the trumpet competition is really a unique event, and there's really nothing else like it in the instrumental world that we know of anyway. Um, we will have, we, with a little luck, you know, we're not sure after the COVID thing if this is all going to come back like it was, but with a little luck, we should have over 700 people actually mm. audition, at least uh, virtually, the first round. Wow. Yeah, and we could have 600 because all, all the trumpet ensembles really mm-hmm. pumps up oh, our numbers. Okay, okay. And we, we kind of, I wouldn't say we invented the trumpet ensemble, but we made it a realistic thing. Every school has one now. Mm. And when I was back in college at the University of Iowa <clears throat> a few years ago. Uh, decades. Nobody, yeah, decades, exactly, <laughs> James. Um, no one had a trumpet ensemble that I knew huh. of. You know, now they have all these phenomenal new pieces written sometimes just for uh, performance and, you know. Uh, right. At the right. trumpet competition, yeah. Yeah, and then people, they, they write things specifically for a trumpet ensemble. Right. So we put young composers and arrangers and transcribers to work as well as performers. Hmm. Right. And uh, we get lots and lots of, um, gosh, requests from judges, you know, university play, uh, teachers and univers- uh, symphony players, you know, because they'll use that as a national credential when they're trying to get tenure or move up from, um, you know, to assistant professor from visiting lecture or, t- you know, whatever. So it helps them. And, of course, we get all this great judging, you know, for free because we can't pay these folks, you know. We don't have the kind of budget. And who judges? Well, we'll have about 80 judges total for each year. Now, a lot of those are in just the prelims, right? Mm, so you won't it, necessarily see them at the event, but they've all done their homework because, as you know, they can judge virtually from anywhere in the world, and we do that. You know, mm-hmm. they get our, they get a code to uh, download the middle school division or the high school division or whatever, and they can download all their contestants that they're adjudicating anywhere in the world, of course. So you won't ever see them, but right. all the, of course, the semis, and that's all done in person with real life breathing judging. Yeah. <laughs> you know? 
And for the longest time, it was here at George Mason, wasn't it? Yes. In fact, I started here as a recruiting event, and it just got so large and so big, the board voted um, to move it around the country, which I fought at first because we've got service bands here. We've got I have a machine set up with video. I mean, I got it all ready to go. The caterer, you name it. Uh, and, of course, that's all going to change the moment you leave here, you know. Uh, but it's really turned out uh, to be a blessing. You know, we don't can't always get service bands and that kind of stuff, you know. Um, but it's really turned out to be a blessing because it's gotten people from different areas of the country to involved, you know, um, when they didn't have to spend so much on travel expenses or just, you know, it's in their backyard. So they're going to say, why not? And then they get hooked on it. Their teacher gets hooked on it. And, you know, voila. When did the competition begin? Uh, 1992. 92. Right. You're coming up on 30 years. Right. That's exactly right. And so uh, I, I assume that you probably missed at least 2020 and maybe 21 because of the pandemic? Correct. We completely crashed and had, right. you know, in fact, oh my gosh, it was the week, uh, basically the beginning of the week of the competition. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, we're going to have all this big equipment shipped in from Yamaha and Bach, Conselmer and all that stuff. <laughs> you know, and I'm talking, um, you know, uh, bundles and bundles of of equipment, that, you know, to sell, and they're going to get stuck here. How about if these middle school kids fly in, and then we have to pull the plug, you know, or the university shuts us down, or the, you know, with Pennsylvania, you know, the state health service shuts us down. We've got all these kids stuck here; they can't yeah, fly. Right, right. And so we just—it's a hard yeah. decision. Oh, it was horrible. Heartbreaking, I'm sure. It was heartbreaking because wow. all those kids have done so much work; they're so pumped, and they've all got airline tickets, you know, all that stuff, hotel mm. reservations. So anyway, yeah. One but we pop back. Mm-hmm. Many casualties of COVID. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, we, yeah. we shouldn't sing the blues too much because, you know, it could be a lot worse. It could be. Now, I want to, we'll, 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 of course, talk about the competition in a bit, but I want to know about you. How did you get your start on trumpet well, way back in the day? Well, actually, if you look over here, you'll see some pictures of my dad conducting the Army Band with me soloing. The Army Band? The Army Band, wow. yeah. Um I grew up uh, in a family of both music teachers. My dad was my high school band director, actually, and my mom was my piano teacher. So we have pictures of me, James, sitting on my my dad's or grandpa's lap. I was probably too puffing my cheeks out on a horn. You know, Lord only knows what it sounded like, but, you know, it was cute. So I, you know, I got a very, very early start. So you grew up here in the D.C. area? Actually, I grew up in in Iowa. Mm -hmm. In Iowa. And Mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm missing how... Your your father conducted the army band. All right. Well, he was a warrant officer band leader in World War II. He got drafted. I'm not sure he'd ever shot a rifle or gun of any sort. He got right. drafted. They realized he had a college degree and was a band, so they made, gave him a warrant officer position in a band. Oh, so it, was, it, it wasn't here in D.C. It was correct elsewhere. Yes, yeah. and he got shipped out eventually going in through Norman, not on D.D. Huh. Uh, and, you know, uh, I, I won't go into a lot of stories unless you're really interested. Just sure, an amazing. Well, he went in. Uh, he had the opportunity to stay in England as a band leader, you know, playing ceremonies for the general. And, and he, uh, my dad, my gosh, who'd never shot a gun, volunteers to go in. So, you know, I've got pictures of him playing at the Paris Opera House with his band. They had just liberated Paris, but there were German tanks and snipers still in town. So they played this radio broadcast with their helmets and their rifles under their bandstands. I'll show you later if you want. Sure. I mean, it's, oh my gosh, it just goes on and on, stuff like that, you know. So anyway, so he got he put in four and a half years. He didn't want to have anything to do after chasing bad guys around with rifles and getting shot at. And like so many of those guys, all they wanted to get home and do is have a family. Yes. They didn't want any more of that. So then he came home, married mom, and off we went. Yeah. What part of Iowa? Iowa City. Um, We went to Iowa City so my dad could go back and do graduate work in music. He had a doctorate, actually, and my mom got her master's in piano. So, um, you know, so easy just to stay there. Lived at home. Made money playing jobs and teaching. Um, So it just worked out, you know. Huh. And and this is the I want to say the sixties seventies era. Yes. Okay. Right. I graduated college seventy one. Uh, seventy five. Sorry. Okay. Not 70. to make you feel old, but I was born in seventy six. You made me feel old, James. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll get over it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yep. And I grew up in Minnesota, so just, oh, just well, you know all about you. those cold winters, don't you, buddy? Yes, Woo. I do. I the do. Marching, I do. Did you have to march? Yeah. Fortunately, the marching band was over late October. Maybe the first week of November, but 
Oh. That was cold enough in Minnesota. Oh, well, we just prayed every year we wouldn't go to the Rose Bowl because I mean, you had to stay over Christmas break. And then you have to rehearse. And outside. Oh. We didn't have an indoor facility at that point. <laughs> so you can imagine, oh my God, you know, it's 10 below and you're outside trying to play. Oh, yeah. So the oh. University of Iowa would go to the Rose Bowl, but the marching band has to rehearse outside. Yeah. Well, they now have an indoor facility. Yeah. It's fabulous, but not back in those days. So, fortunately, the Iowa team was pretty bad, so it wasn't really a threat okay. to go to, to the Rose Bowl <laughs> like it could be now. It's yeah. interesting to see the, the, the fans rooting against oh, the team. Oh, so my God. Oh, well, if you're in the band, that's a whole different ball game. Uh, no pun intended, right? Yeah. Right. What was the art scene like in Iowa at that time? Cause it's- uh, well, in Iowa City, it's very good. It's okay. a university town. Yeah. Um, and say, unlike Charlottesville, that doesn't have a lot of like art majors, you can't get a doctorate in music in, at UVA or something. Mm-hmm. There's a very vibrant scene. Really? Uh, yeah, in Iowa City. It's a college town about the size yeah. of Charlottesville, but but with a major school of music, it's different than having a department of music, you know. Right. And for reference, Charlottesville is where the University of Virginia is. Yes, exactly. And so Iowa City, and this is when you were there in the mm-hmm. 70s, it mm-hmm. was vibrant. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, that the Iowa band and the Eastman band were the two bands chosen from this country in the 60s to go to the USSR, the old Soviet Union, yeah, right, or yeah. the old Russian, yeah, sure. uh, as cultural exchanges. Really? Oh, big time. Meredith Wilson, the music man, okay. he's from Iowa. That's right. He wrote that about River City, which That's is right. Iowa City. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, he came by the band one time and said hello, we were doing the show 70 uh you know uh the music man so yeah, yeah i've spoken to a lot of people over the years that that like the midwest is just chock full of really fine musicians like kentucky yeah great great scene in kentucky and you think of horses and bourbon rednecks but there's a great there's a great scene yeah. in those, kentucky. The, you're from did you go to university of minnesota no. Okay. Well, as you know, I mean that's a major program as oh, well. Yes. They yes, all have yes, the four yes. oldest doctoral programs in the mu- in the in music are most people don't realize mm-hmm. Iowa, Indiana, Michigan, and Eastman, mm-hmm. and the largest music library in the world, including all the doctoral stuff, is the University of Michigan. Mm-hmm. It's Midwest, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, David Hickman, who I've had on the show, mm-hmm. he was in Wichita, Kansas, and. They had a vibrant scene there. Yeah. So you don't have to go to New York and L.A. to make it as a musician because people like fine music outside mm-hmm. of those locales, believe it or not. And yeah. if you know a thing or two about um, just kind of getting your name out there, there's people who want, actually want to hear what you're saying yeah. or, or, or what you're playing. Uh, Ron Modell, who I've had on the show years ago. Northern Illinois. Northern right? Illinois. And they yes. were... That world, jazz pan program was fabulous, yeah. World-renowned. Quincy Jones, I believe, even uh, yeah, hand, fabulous handpicked program. them for, for something. It was, it's been a while since I spoke to Ron, but yeah, the Midwest, you don't, you, you don't typically associate it with the fine arts, but there's no shortage of it up there. Well, they have, for instance, uh, where I went to school at the University of Iowa, they have an organ recital hall, and that's basically all that goes on in there. Organ huh. recitals. Organ recitals. I don't know of anything on the East Coast from like, well, I don't. I won't mention schools, <laughs> but all the way from Florida up to Eastman that has anything like that. Organ uh, recital hall. One, uh, an entire hall with, a, you know, they've got like six practice organs, real pipe organs, you know, it's just <gasps> six a different world. practice organs. Yeah. In Iowa. Wow. Yeah. You'd Me- never, you'd never think of it, but then there it is. All right. So let's talk about, uh. Like you, you major in. I'm sure you majored in music, mm-hmm. obviously. Yep. Uh, take us from that moment <clears throat> to like your military. Well, I was all set to go to Northwestern, uh, and Mr. Chickowitz, I'm a Chickowitz student. Vincent Chickowitz yeah. uh, was an amazing gentleman, and mm-hmm. I, I can't remember if I re- applied late or something. They went one over strength. They're only supposed to have so many. What are, you know, and he uh, contacted the uh, administration on my behalf, say, "I want to get this guy in. Can we anything we could do?" And he got me in. Hmm. Well, at about that time, I get a call from a friend of mine that had just graduated the year before in Iowa and was in the army band and called me and said, Hey Denny, you might want to come out and fly out and, and audition with this group, the army brass quintet, which I'd never heard of. And almost nobody had back in 75. Um, and I thought, well, they're going to fly. I have nothing to lose. Right. Uh, so I flew out and, uh, I couldn't believe how the guys played the level of play. 
Um, it was unbelievable. Hmm. I just kind of melted right there and go, oh my gosh, what do I do now? Chickowitz has gone way overboard to get me in. I, I have no idea how it's going to pay for because that's so expensive. I, I have no idea to this day how that was going to happen. Anyway, so, um, so I took the job and I called him. We expected all you know what to break loose after he's gone way out of his way. This is a major figure now, right, in the trumpet business. Yes. Um, and he was so sweet. He said, you know, I think you've made a really great decision. Let's stay in touch. And he was so positive. So at that point, I thought, okay, that's how the big boys act, or that's the way they should act. It's really great to be treated like that by somebody you revere. Yeah, you're getting a bit yeah. uh, emotional. Great guy. Wow. Yep. So you studied... Under Mr. Chickowitz? Um, yes. I had a sort of an embouchure crash, my so to speak, my sophomore year. Uh, nothing had really gone wrong. It was just wrong. I was pulling my corners back, and not to get into a lot of detail. Oh, sure. Right. Sure. Um, and I couldn't find anybody that could really help me fix it. I found some, a couple of teachers, including my own, who could identify it, but I said, well, how do I fix it? They kind of didn't know. So I won't go into names, and that's when I started studying with him. He didn't really know how to address it specifically, but he knew how to work around it, so it kind of fixed itself. Hmm. Maybe that's the way to say it. Okay. Does that help? I know that's well, so, I mean, you very, had an issue, and uh, I guess the, his approach allowed you to just kind of work itself out without... I had something really positive to focus on, and it seemed to just kind of start to work itself. It took time now, right? Yes. Positive focus physically? Mentally? Uh, everything. Everything? Yeah. Okay. you got to relax to do this thing, right? Huh. So, also, I was getting a little older, a little wiser. You know, some, some of that started to kick in. Mm-hmm. But, so, you're uh, 17, 18 at this point? Well, I was the sophomore in college, so I was probably 19. So, I studied with him. I drove 11 hours from Iowa City to Chicago for each lesson. I know it sounds like Abraham Lincoln trudging through the snow, but I really did. <laughs> now, I didn't do it, but once ever two or three months or something. Sure, you know. sure. Um, so he pulled some strings to get you into North... Did he, did he North teach Western, at Northwestern? Did graduate. Oh, yes. He was adjunct at graduate. Okay. Right. Because I'm, I'm a little rusty on my... Yeah, back in those history. days, Arnold Jacobs, a lot of those folks yes. uh, taught adjunct at Northwestern. Right, right. Now they have a different, a little bit different model. You know, they'll bring like two or three trumpet players in for major symphonies once, a, you know, whatever. Right. They use well, it. What do you think Mr. Chickwit saw in you that he would go out of his way to get you. Well, the rest of the story is I was in such a funk my sophomore year in college realizing I wasn't fixing this thing and I didn't and I was practicing 4 hours a day which is really stupid, right? Just doing the same th- wrong things over and over and over, right? Um so like uh Einstein said, you know, uh insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting the results to yeah, change. Um so uh, my mom was a musician, as I told you, and performer, really great performer. And um, so she found out about Chickwitz. I had mentioned him, and she called him. <laughs> Your mother called. My mother, I'm <laughs> 19 or 20 at that point, my mother calls Vincent Chickwitz. And she said, what, uh, you know, she says, Danny, I have a surprise for you. And I, I, oh, great. She said, you have a lesson set up with, you know. <laughs> okay. I, and I'm going, Okay. <laughs> Uh-huh. Obviously, she called him. And I was incredibly embarrassed, like probably most young men would oh, be. Yeah, sure. And so I go to sh- I call him. He's oh yeah 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 right great come on up blah blah here how about this time and we got it all worked out. So I knock on his door. He says oh yes I've been waiting to see you. I you know I, I'm really looking forward to working with you. And I thought oh <laughs> that's pretty cool. Okay. So a little class goes a long way, doesn't it? Sure, absolutely. Yep. For him to go out of his way and and like pull the strings that he had to what what did he see in you that would make him want to do that well i had come up there and to study with him one summer so i could work mm-hmm. with him weekly instead of once every two or three or four right. months whatever right. i could pull off mm-hmm. um and i got, ended up playing first chair in the band in the you know the wind symphony or what do they call it at you know, northwestern yeah during the summer during the summer got it right so he heard me i guess heard me play enough or was around me enough that to realize something was well, was it just your playing or was it? Was there more than that? Personality, tenacity. Well, I, I'm not sure. I would like to think both, but he never talked about it with me. You know, he's a pretty reserved guy in lots of ways. Um, yeah, it was kind of a father figure without being mushy and you know talkative. I guess is that a good way to describe that? Oh, absolutely. 
he led by example more than communication, I think. That's a good father figure. Yeah. And and uh, you're away from your father for the first time, probably. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Because yeah. the reason I bring this up is because I just uh, this was speaking to another fellow who uh, we have a uh, something in common. We did both did drum and bugle corps back in the day. Oh, yeah. Sure. And DCI? We were, yeah, DCI. Oh, yeah, man. And so we were talking about um, the director of this group that we were both with, the Madison Scouts. The director, he was like, the father figure because all these all these guys are away from their fathers for the first time or maybe maybe i don't know maybe they, they don't know their father whatever whatever the oh yeah well, there's, yeah no shortage of those stories but you know it it just it just made me think of that like you 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 just you just got so uh very very well James, it's kind of like I tell my students at Mason, you know, uh, teaching, to, excuse me, playing to me is exciting. I love it. You know, nothing will take the place quite of that excitement. But teaching is satisfying because you can change lives. You'll have kids if you're an ed major, you know, yeah. you'll have kids in your band that they're probably never going to be cheerleaders or football players or the social in crowd or anything. You know, they could be overweight or have speech impediments or, you know, whatever. Right. Um, they're never going to go to the prom, you know. <laughs> But gosh darn it, they might be your best euphonium player or something, and they have a home and band. Yeah, and in that one room in that whole school, they they're cool. They're very cool yeah. and needed. And needed, you know. And so uh, I think value. music teachers, yeah, and and sports and coaches, uh, drama, music, you know, arts, and coaches have an, a special responsibility, but also an, an amazing opportunity to change lives. Hmm. Yeah. All right, so uh, I want to talk a little bit about the military. So you. You auditioned specifically for the brass quintet? Right. When you auditioned for the band, uh, Mm -hmm. back in those days, you would audition for the band. They'd have to accept you, which meant the colonel had to sign off on it. Of course. That meant you weren't somebody's special friend. They were just trying to sneak, you know, so it had to be a bona fide audition. And then uh, then I sat in with the quintet for maybe half an hour and played with them. Uh Okay, so this is 75? 75. 75. So this is like... Pre-Canadian brass doing their they, thing. They were just coming out. They were just coming out. Just coming out. They're 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 yep. total novelty at this point. ITG was only a couple years old. That was pretty new and fresh as well. Yeah, it was right. a whole beginning of a new era in some ways. You know, not to be really so, corny, but yeah. So who do you do you recall who were the players? Like I guess specifically trumpet players. Would Ron, we know Ron, them? Ron, and uh, I, I'm not. I'm talking about in the in the army. Oh yeah, oh, of course. We're still close in the Army Quintet. When I get yeah, in, yeah. I mean, oh, when yeah. when you when you auditioned in '75, who were the players then? In the quintet, yeah, uh, Gary Armstrong and Henry Segresi. Okay, right. And, and what kind of music were they playing that that just really? Um, it wasn't so much the music they played; it's the way they played it. Hmm. I mean, it was unbelievable. Do you do you remember what they played? No, but okay. I know you're gonna laugh at this, but I remember we came up to some quarter note triplets <laughs> and something. I might, I'm, I assume I was sight reading something with them, and I, I marveled how they played those together. It was like one instrument with five colors in it or something. And I thought, and I'd sat in with a faculty quintet at Iowa. I'd maybe mm-hmm. played a couple of concerts with them. Somebody, I can't remember what happened. And that's a that's a great group. But this was a, it was like a you know because they tour, they travel, they tour, you know. And when you play together that much. Uh, that's a rehearsing. That's rehearsing on a different level, you know, in terms of just the, um, you know, just how homogenous the sound comes out, and how people feel rhythms and 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 lead, you know, just by having moving notes, you know, because mm. you don't have a conductor, obviously, you know. Of course. Well, I mean, you sort you just, of have a conductor, but you don't have somebody standing right. in front of the group. Right. Yeah. But Everybody's just, right. And I just I watched them. There's almost no motion by somebody leading and beating. You know. They just watched each other and they just knew what to do. And, and one of the first things we did was we we had this fabulous arrangement. I know you're going to laugh. Of, um, gosh, what was it? We played it in the band room for kids on, you know, all facing away from each other. Okay. We would start just by, we'd have to get it quiet, which is kind of cool when you're a teacher to get it that quiet. You have to get it really quiet so you guys can hear us breathe. You know? <laughs> yeah. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. Phenomenal okay. arrangement. I know you're laughing at sure, me, sure. but it was fantastic. Well, done right. by the, the the service bands in town here are fabulous arranging staffs. I don't know if you know that. I do know that. Yeah, world class. Yeah, they are good. And so occasionally, we'd get, once a year, we get something from them. You know, they do just for us. Um, and it was a whole uh, series, maybe five or six variations on Twinkle, Twinkle, and the Brahms variation was 
gorgeous. Yeah. Hmm. That's my favorite. <laughs> Brahms variation of Twinkle Twinkle. Well, you know, Mozart wrote it, right? You know. I didn't actually know that. And I, did he write it or did he arrange it? He made, he made a very famous uh, piano piece out of it. Yeah, I think he wrote it. But really, somebody's going to call us and correct us if, we're, if I'm wrong. But that's okay. Yeah, uh, there's only one listener that really cares. His name is Clyde, and we don't really talk about him. So it's, it's fine. <laughs> don't worry about him. I like that, that's Gabriel. Good... Did you know that Mozart wrote "Twinkle Twinkle Little Star"? Did you know that? No, I had no idea. I just found that out. My son Gabriel is the producer. Oh, he's in, he's how in convenient! The back. That's after he gets a snack, snack done, right? As soon as he's done with his apples and honey, he's busy producing. <laughs> then he starts the podcast. producing. I like that. That's my kind of job. <laughs> now you, uh, still on the topic of the army band. Now, did you audition for the brass quintet, and that was your main gig? Um, for- yes. Uh, well, yes and no. Uh, when I came out and auditioned, I took the standard army band audition which is a lot of <coughs> sight reading so prepare yourself uh and sight reading just blew me through the door because i'd already been in a professional concert band even in high school i joined the union when i was in seventh grade i got a very early start like i was talking about yeah, yeah. so sight reading no, i've been all the way through the charlet book and all that stuff so um so that was a pretty easy audition for me i mean relatively speaking sure. i don't mean to be sure. mr <laughs> you know uh the quintet deal is a different deal when they were looking for uh, the player you know uh, it was right after Vietnam, you may recall. Yes. Um, and the military bands were not a real popular place to be in those days. Hmm. Uh, you know, we had Vietnam veterans coming back and getting spit on on college campuses. I mean, it's a rough time to yes. be in the military. It was. Uh, and my friend all thought I was nuts. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I'm wow, I'll be playing at the White House and doing this cool stuff. I, you know, you know, so you come out and do it for three years and get out. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> get some money to go to graduate school. You know, could be worse than that, man. And then I fell in love with it, you know, and little by little back in those days, I did more ceremonial band work, you know, funerals in Arlington National Cemetery and some really neat stuff, but it's 99 degrees out there, or 13 <laughs> degrees or whatever, you know, <laughs> and little by little, the quintet got so much work. Um, once we really kind of got certified by the command to go to the White House without any commissioned officers or something, we had our own NCOIC, you know, we'd play inaugural events. Mm-hmm. Once that started kicking in, um, you know, there became so much, you know, private receptions for generals and stuff like that where you can't get a whole band. You just, five players is the yeah. way to go, you know. Right, right. Stuff that Walter Reed, when they, you know, mm-hmm. graduation ceremonies, you know. Yeah. Uh, Armed Forces War College and, you know, <clears throat> inaugural events and, you know, White House. You know, there'd be a White House um, posthumous um, Purple Heart given to a family from World War Two or something. Mm-hmm. Well, they want music, but they don't, in the East Room, they haven't got room for a band. You know, they right. want all the guests in there. So it just worked out. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the model that the army bands have adopted overall over the years. Because when I came in in '94, it was he sort of had a quintet, but not really. And this was this was kind of out in the field, not in Washington D.C. Right. But now, you know, when I my second time around in the uh, late aughts and early teens, it was we quintet did all kinds of things. Yeah, and for in situations just like that where you can't fit the whole band but well the other thing like if it's on veterans day or you know july 4th you're scrambling all over town you may have half your group out of town and you know some big celebration and with the boston pops with the heralds could be you know you got people out of town traveling you know getting on the television and all that cool stuff so you only got so many troops back at home so right. you know a group that small that can travel that or play that independently you know we'd go uh go like do the graduation at walter reed or fly, army flight school or something we'd just take a drummer with us because it was marching yeah. it's no big deal right yeah. right <laughs> yeah i recall uh the first time uh, and i don't know if i met you at this time but it was i think i met your colleague woody english oh this yes was in, uh, yes uh <laughs> 2008 i had just moved to kentucky i was right back into the military again and I was at the Great American Brass Band Festival oh, yes, in Danville course. that Vince DiMartino. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And my my memory of this... <laughs> oh, oh, here we go. Is, danger, uh, danger. I hope this is not classified. No, it's not classified. Okay. But uh, you guys, and I, it was you and Woody and then uh, Harry Waters, Oh yeah. I believe, was a wonderful player. Oh, he's... And oh, I don't remember the French horn player or the tuba player. I, th- those are the three that I remember. But I... What I remember is uh, you all did the Haydn trumpet concerto, okay? And so 
you have people listening to this. We're all trumpet players, so you know the Haydn Concerto. Probably most of you <laughs> know it. And so Woody is up there. He's like, quote, the soloist. Well, he's the first violin. No, I was playing the solo part. He was playing the first violin part. Is that what it was? So, yeah. The, so, the, whole, the solo part's hard enough. Okay, I get that. You know, that everybody, we all play at some point. Okay, so. Playing, oh, it's a transcription. So he's playing the first violin part. It's crazy. Okay, so that's what that's what it was. I, I thought it was him playing the solo and you playing the violin part. The part he was playing in the horn part is just, it's stupid hard. Right. You know, I mean, that makes my, my, if you're playing it on E flat, it's not that hard. Right. right. Yeah. And it was, it's just crazy. And that's what people would get excited about. Yeah, if you have some chops, you can play yeah, it. Yeah, because you're like, you oh, wow, what, how are they doing this? You know. And but it wasn't I, me, it was the rest of the group, you know. Because I was driving up from Virginia Beach thinking about this because I wanted to mention this. And mm-hmm. I, I I guess I had it, it, it uh, uh, reversed. But in comparison, you know, the Haydn is, is a challenge. Oh, it is, sure. But you were like sipping a margarita, you know, up there. Are you? <laughs> quote, quote, no, I'm, I'm, what I'm saying, what I'm oh. saying, in comparison to oh, what oh, Woody oh. is doing, it's like you're sitting up there. Oh. Oh, just kind of uh, having a good time, having a good time, just kind of taking a break, and both of those guys—they're <laughs> working, working, <laughs> working their tails off. Yeah, and by well, you know how it is. If you played it for years, and you played it four or five nights in a row. Sure. You, you know, yeah, you can play it. It's and if playable. You, if your if your lip is in shape, you can play yeah, it. It's, sure. it's no those problem. other parts. That's work, man. <clears throat> You got to be you got to be real focused to do that. But that was my my that was my one memory. Of, Interesting. This was um, thirteen years ago at the yeah. festival in Kentucky. We've already mentioned the NTC National Trumpet Competition. Mm-hmm. Ninety two. What I mean, um, what did you see in the the marketplace, for lack of a better term, that you said we can use this? What 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 made you? What prompted this? I'm sorry, you're talking about NTC or the Army Quintet? The competition. Um, well, my dad, I guess to go back in history, uh, my dad, um, <coughs> being a band director, he would have to host like state solo competitions and stuff, and you know, uh, district comp- solo comp. Back in those days, at least in Iowa, you had you had three, two or three levels. You know, if you made it through the districts, you go on to state maybe or something like that as a soloist. You know. High school, like we we now call district solo festival. Then it was really a competition to you know to go on to state. You had to get a one at district or whatever. You know, I watched him host it, and I, you know, and you know I think you know we're in a kind of an era, James, and I know you know this, where you know all the kids that show up to the soccer team, <laughs> they all get a medal. <laughs> doesn't matter how hard they try, it doesn't matter, you know, because we want them all to feel special. And I and I get that. I'm not you know, but the reality and. In the music world, I know I don't need to tell you how tough it is, but you know, you go to the grocery store and people are competing for uh, parking spots. You know, so it's something you have to learn to do and do in a real positive, thoughtful way, instead of a real ugly, aggressive. You know, what's word? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I I know what you're talking about. Yeah, in a real honest way, say, hey, I didn't play well. I shouldn't get a Award, an award or something you know instead of where's my award i showed up didn't i right you know i had my hair combed i got a brand new shanty horn why don't i get a medal you know so you know kind of going on that philosophy i when i started it um i was going to call it the virginia trumpet competition it's a recruiting event you know and of okay. course we have in-state tuition like you know mm-hmm. um and then tony maiello my very favorite fond um band director our wonderful band director george mason said well you know i i asked him about it. he said oh, great i bet you i've got some students former students up in new york where he taught that'll come and i'm going mm, we're gonna call it the virginia trumpets uh, you know and so i thought you know what let's just bite the bullet let's see what happens and let's call it national maybe if it only goes regional four or five so that's cool you know uh and gosh darn it um the first year we had maybe students from west virginia Maybe Maryland, Virginia, and maybe New York. I can't remember. But it's pretty local, except maybe some students. From, and it just kept growing, you know. Hmm. What did the first competition look like? How many? There were about 40 students. We had students. a high school and college division only. Okay. okay. And and a jazz division, I think. Was it all solos? Or yeah. Like small solo. ensembles? No, no ensembles at that no point. No ensembles. That came a little bit later, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. So basically playing... The Haydn, uh, the, yes. Like the, the standard li- limit. The, lim- the literature was so much more limited. Yes. in those days than it is now. Right. Um, and a lot of teachers didn't know, you know, Peter Maxwell Davies or you know stuff like that. You know, 
Um, so we had to be careful who we got to judge, you know, back in those days because they don't know that literature. It's pretty tough to, you know, to judge it and really know it backwards and forwards. Because, you know, you're comparing something like Peter Maxwell Davies to the Haydn or the Hummel or Neruda or something. You know. Can you can you describe Peter Maxwell Davies? Because I'm not oh, that familiar with it's him. A, I wouldn't say avant-garde, but it's very very contemporary piece. Okay, uh, it takes tons of chops. It's you know, uh, you know, you probably won't need change on D or E flat to play it. Okay, very very difficult. Okay, um, so all right now, how the next question is: How do you compare somebody who plays that and does a good job to somebody who plays the Aritune and, and melts hearts? Sure, you get into all that stuff. Right. And we've gone through many stages where people say, well, you need to have a required list. You know, so everybody <laughs> judges here 80 Hummel Concheros in a row. Mm-hmm. Well, that's pretty easy to compare. There's no question about that. But you don't get new literature written that way. You don't expose students to, you know, other great players who are playing stuff that they've never heard of. Mm-hmm. Or maybe their teacher hasn't even heard because it's only a year old, you know. Right. So we've always gone that way. That was a decision the board made and kind of reaffirmed over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it drives our pianists crazy because they learn all this amazing literature some of it they may never play again because there may not be anybody at their school that's up to that level, perhaps, you know. But we've got amazing pianists, and they can do it. Hmm. So your the, the intention from the beginning was to foster an, an appreciation of, like, the fine arts, like the high arts, for lack of a better term. Well, to try to get as many people as involved as possible. You know, you have yeah, a chance to play. Yeah, but, but okay, so you, you can do that, but you can also say... Let's all play the Haydn and compare how how well we can play the Haydn. Oh, right. But but you're you you were intentionally uh, it, it, it encouraging through this competition innovation in right. in competition. You're not necessarily trying to be American Idol right type of competition. We're trying to grow our our, our art. Okay, and every including comp- composers, you know everybody. So we've always, you know, we we have live, I don't know if you know this, we have live, live webcasts of the finals. You'll see these kids, young players, 10, 11 years old, walking out playing our tuning, and it's crazy, you know. I mean, it's, uh, we've had middle school play, uh, uh, playing Tomasi, and we're just scratching our heads. I mean, it's unbelievable, you know, how this is, not, let's not take credit for all of the progress in our, you know, but it's really gone to the point where we, we don't know what to do with it. <laughs> These players are so good and so young. You know. Hmm. No, I, I I don't know that I've seen like the live webcasts, but I have seen the the university division, mm-hmm. and they are unbelievable. <laughs> the William Tell Overture, yeah. the <laughs> it's just unbelievable. Well, when you see those videos, remember those were recorded live. Right, we archive them. Right, right. That's a live performance. There, I mean, anything right. can happen. I mean, somebody could be late eat too much pizza and have a tum you know stuff happens That's, those young you know, people walk out there they don't stand and look at each other you know you want to play for your turn they go out there and bang it's a show they know exactly mm-hmm. and they're almost always playing by memory we don't require that right. but imagine playing an eight minute trumpet piece and you're playing seventh trumpet the memory on that mm-hmm. you know i mean I, I don't know about you but if you're playing first it's easy to memorize sure but they do it and it, all the jazz stuff they play now and you know, hmm. and they're doing transcriptions, everything from Haydn string quartets to Ravel. Oh, it's <laughs> crazy. And they're doing it really well. And the cool thing I like about, that's my favorite, honestly, is the ensemble divisions. Because a teacher can lift the the level of his entire his or her entire studio. And we've had, I think, Terry Everson may have set the record, had three ensembles one year. That's his entire studio. Wow. And they all got in. Wow. You know. So what's the criteria to, because uh, there's a preliminary, which is remote? It, uh, yes, they, okay. they send an MP4, right? right? And right, then right, the right. judges where remotely can mm-hmm. download, listen to it over and over, whatever they want to do, you know, or mm-hmm. go back and listen to, you know, and they all get uh, like a serial number, you know. Uh, so we don't know what they, who they look like or what they are, where they go to school or, you know, who their teacher is. So we do it as just as fair as we can. So Everson got, he said that Terry got, Everson, three in, like, at the in-person competition. At the in-person competition. And well, how, and, and, that's pretty amazing. And that's three out of how many ensembles? Well, how many do we accept? Yeah, for the in-person. Um, we have two ensemble divisions now, the small ensemble and the large ensemble. And all together, we'll have somewhere around, uh, it's between 60 and 80. I'd have to go back and look to see where we are at this point. Sixty and eighty ensembles, 
at some the of, live competition? Yes. And wow. that, that includes ensembles up to 10 players. So that draws our draws more b- bodies in. Now, they may be playing 10th trumpet or something, but th- how cool is that? You know. Well, I mean, you're, you're playing 10th trumpet, but you're part of a great ensemble. You were part, and the thing is, and you know about this. Yeah. It's the, it's the morale. They have to, they have to learn to find a rehearsal time. Hmm. You know, yeah. I, uh, my students, I know, you know, they got this, they got so much stuff going on, music fraternity <clears throat> stuff, you know, pep band, all that stuff. And they have to work hard just to find a time to get together. They have to learn to say, well, I guess I'll put this down or I won't get, I can't do this. You know, mm-hmm. they have to make priorities and that's time management and priorities are a big deal for lots of undergraduates. Yes. At least especially, especially yeah. these days. So they got to determine, yeah, I, I'm going to have to let something go. I'm going to have to be there on time, you know, cause otherwise you might have six or eight people looking around at you like, uh, you don't think you need to come on time. We're here. And it's cool because it's coming from the students instead of just the teacher. Yes, I just I just read an article about uh, I think it was one of the university football teams, and they won the national championship. and oh. And the uh, the key factor was that the coaches basically they didn't they, they didn't have to impose discipline. It was all from the students. All the all the athletes held each other accountable. And when you can set up a model like that, you've rung the bell. Right? Huh. It's great to get first place, and the, the money's great and all that stuff. But uh, as a teacher, you look, you know what? It's good stuff. They've learned more from doing this mm. than any hotshot kids will learn getting first place by themselves. You play in the whatever. Yeah. You? But but I was thinking about the person playing 10th trumpet. You you might think, well, I'm, I'm just – you're just like the little runt of the litter. But, but in that scenario, you're – very, you're vital on this level. You're is everybody, you know, just anybody can play on a rest or play out of tune, it makes everybody else, huh? And you know how dirty intonation is when you're playing. Oh my gosh, <clears throat> you know, that's the dirtiest problem to fix. If somebody's playing a wrong note, everybody knows that they play on the rest or they don't play it short hmm. or long or beautiful or you know, right? Intonation is the ugliest thing to fix because huh. it's always, it's often hard to pinpoint who's, who's the problem, huh? And if you're playing with seventh, eighth part. You're probably playing those Ds, the C sharps. They could be low and ugly. Yep, you got it. Yeah. And if you don't have a low register, finely tuned, it's really difficult to play down there. Yeah. Really hard. But it doesn't matter. That's every bit as important, you know, because that can make the rest of it sound trashy, yeah. as you know. And right. Huh. We had a we had a, a group who can remain nameless. They came from a very very high powered um, conservatory, which can remain nameless, and they sent us a, a piece. You can name them? No, I'm not. No, gonna, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to because <laughs> uh, it was really handled well. Um, I got a call or an email from their teacher, and they didn't get in. And he's going, whoa, you know, this is the big. And I'm going, like, I hope we haven't made a mistake somewhere. So I called the judge who had judged them. And he said, yeah, they threw a, the slow movement together. They just threw it together. It's like, oh, yeah, we're from blah, 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 conservatory. We'll get in. Got it. And you know how much trumpet players spend time on slow movements, right? Yeah. And so fortunately, we, I, I, I got back to this the teacher, and he handled it really well. And you know, and he used that as a tool say, hey, look, you went to blah, blah, you're coming here to the blah, blah, blah conservatory, but you guys didn't get into the national trumpet competition. What's going on? Mm-hmm. You know, made them reassess what they're doing. Sure. Well, that's a huge learning lesson if it's handled totally. well. It's, yeah. you know, by a, yeah. a responsible, dedicated, <clears throat> ethical teacher. Yeah, sure. Instead so, of saying, I can't believe, the judging must be all messed up and blah, 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 you know. They cheated. Right. He didn't go it's that route. fixed. He didn't go that route. And right. I really respect him. For that. Sure. Absolutely. So these these students, they thought, well, we, we go to, you know, highfalutin university. Of course we're going to get and we can, we can just phone this in. They'll take it. And they us. had the last the couple of years before that. Right. Okay. Got it. But you know, throwing a slow movement together, you hear a lot of stuff wrong, right? What do you what do you mean, what do you mean a slow movement? It was a middle movement of a, a middle movement of a concerto, yeah. Okay, so yeah, those are the might have been the Altenberg. I can't remember. Okay. But well, those are the that's not easy stuff, you know. Intonation, you know, uh-huh. it, those attacks when you're playing soft. And, <clears throat> yeah, sometimes the fast and louder. Easier, we, James. That's where we live. Yeah, that's where our <laughs> ego lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> but so he used it as a very positive experience, okay. and the students, I hope, should have learned a lot from that. Like, okay, it doesn't matter where you go to school; it matters how you play when you walk out to audition. Well, I mean that that's a great. Uh, just the the story is is good because the everybody involved 
learned something and people listening to this, you know, hopefully we can well, take the, something away from it too. Yeah. The judging's hard because, you know, especially, well, they're all hard. You know, in the ensemble division, you've got, say, a group of four players uh, playing right after a group of six. You know, the four to six is a small, you can be four to five or six players. And some of them are playing incredibly difficult music. Others are playing something that's not quite as hard, but just doing a really polished job. And it's, you know, we do the best we can. <laughs> we don't claim sainthood. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah. We deliberate and we go over it and over it. You know, our rule, our motto at the NTC is you have to own it. You have to own it. Right. What does that mean? Well, uh, if you can't move hearts and minds by the way you're playing it, uh, then you're not there yet. Hmm. Uh, typically, well, well, you know, we almost never hear any more piccolo trumpet players. You know, somebody bringing a piccolo because they're not ready to do it, and sound is fluid and beautiful, and it's in tune and and owning it like you they might on a B flat or C. Now, not the same piece, but you, you understand. Mm-hmm. They think it's real cute to bring that thing and they'll just blow everybody away, and then they play out of tune and right. no, no one's blown away. <laughs> you know, well, they're blown away in the wrong direction. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, so most teachers are experienced enough now, possibly because of NTC, I don't know, hmm. uh, that certainly had something to do with it, I think. Uh, they have to own it. So if you, if you need to play something easier under pressure, you know, you're going to fly out here and you got eight minutes, show us who you are. Yeah. So you would prefer, uh, you and, and the committee or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you would prefer someone can come in that's with something that is maybe not as difficult, but they can master it. Well, the diff- you're right, but difficulty is a hard thing to pinpoint. You know, sometimes we just think of high and loud and fast as difficult. <laughs> mm-hmm. How about that slow movement? Can you really make that sound, you know, heartfelt? Right. So you're right. I know you know this, but difficulty is a hard thing to measure. But students think the harder and faster stuff is, you know, or off the beaten path is huh. cool just because it's, you know. But that's our motto. It doesn't matter what you play. Yeah. You know, everybody thinks that I, oh, I'll get four or five emails a year and say, well, what's the piece that they really want to hear? That you, right. It doesn't work that way. We want to hear you play it's, it. It seems it. like you have to find the piece that works for you, right. your ensemble, your personalities. Absolutely. And what can you do under pressure? What if you end up with that 8.30 or 9 o'clock slot? Can mm-hmm. you play that at 8.30 in the morning after flying, for, you know, hmm. getting in late in the hotel or whatever? You know, you traveled, you played and performed. Sure, of course. Consider all that. What can you do that you can own hmm. on any day of the week? Something that you can wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning and play it. Right. Because under huh. pressure, stuff is going to go wrong. Huh. The pianists are great, but, you know. It, it's it's There's a lot of checking the ego at the door because you. it, it seems like a, a, a group of uh, young people, early 20s, they'd be tempted to think, we're going to do this and we're going to just blow those judges out of their seats. Well, it used to kind they're of gonna be talk, that way. They're going to talk about us for 50 years. It used to kind of be that way. <laughs> then we invented the internet. And we can archive videos. And now anybody in West Overshoe, you know, yeah. Montana or South right. Waving Grass, Iowa, I'll use Iowa. You know, they can say, no, you think you're hot stuff. Well, yeah, you played first chair in the band here. You're the big fish and the little, you know, all this stuff. Now let's check out what these guys in eighth grade are doing at the NTC website. Let's find out what they're sounding like. And mm. they're two years younger than you are. They're sure. your age or whatever. Right, right, right. And you want to get serious? Here's what you have to do. This was performed live, right? Wow. And then there's no place to hide. You know, there used to be because you didn't have all these live things. But now uh, we just took the, bit the bullet several years ago and decided we we're going to do those live, you know, the finals. Wow. So I, anything can happen. I mean, it's <laughs> <laughs> the archives, if, the, if, if, I don't know if this has ever happened, but if, a group were to just just fall off, everything falls apart. They embarrass themselves. Would you? You would uh, if take they, it. Yeah, off? If their teacher asked us, we'd remove. If the, if, okay. Now that's happened um, by one of our one or two of our performers. You know, right? Major symphony people. You know, they played and it went okay, and they just asked us to remove it. We're happy to do that. Yeah, because you know, a lot of times you're a symphony player, you got so much stuff going on. Yeah, uh, you know, and then they I, yes. And they forget what it's like to be a soloist, possibly. Yes. You know, and they don't play well. It's okay. We're not, right. we're not trying to, you know. Right. Right. So many of them are playing for almost nothing anyway. I mean, give me a break. You know, we're here, we're here to help them as well as everything, right? Yeah. Okay. So you'll have, you'll have uh, <clears throat> like so-called celebrities. Yeah. To bring in. Mm-hmm. I, I think you've had Alan Vizzuti. Five, oh, several three? times. Yeah, sure. Okay. Huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
All right. So uh, major, all kinds of major artists, you know. Yeah. So all the way 30, 30 years later, mm-hmm. what is the impact of the national trumpet competition on well, the trumpet community? I can tell you this from being in the Army band and judging uh, <laughs> judging auditions and looking at resumes, probably over half of the resumes we get have participation in TC in some level. Now, maybe they didn't get to the finals or whatever because that was three years ago or whatever. But, mm-hmm. You yeah. mean people applying for the Pershing Zone band? Right. Okay. We'll have gone through the NTC pipeline somewhere, hmm. possibly in an ensemble or something. But man, it's amazing what those students go through in an ensemble. Hmm. It's really rough. Really? Know? Well, just the amount of preparation they have to do, and it depends on the school how much time the teacher can spend, can and will spend with them, saying, "Hey, you, get, you guys should be doing this. You got the talent. Here's the piece. I think you should play. You figure out how to do it. Got it. And when you get it together, I'll come listen. <laughs> so this is all. Is there is there an age limit? Uh, well, uh, there's no lower age limit. Well, okay. we now have a high school uh, ensemble division. Because what if so, what if somebody like me? I'm 45 years old. You're over 29. Sorry. <laughs> You're over 28. Sorry. Okay. Well, that takes care of my next. Question. Well, we we had a pro am group for a while, <laughs> but we just couldn't get an, enough interest in it to really make it worthwhile. And we had a physician, and who lived in I think Pittsburgh. Pretty sure. May have taught at uh, what's the university that's so big medical school. It doesn't matter. Anyway, he won uh, won the Pro-Am division, and he got a brand-new Shoki Piccolo. Well, he's a physician. <laughs> he probably doesn't need that, like you know, some sure. poor kid in college is starving. Yep. Got it. So uh, so we just haven't ever been able to drum up enough participation. I wish we could. You know, Most ever we've ever had even attend an event when we used to have events for them specifically so they didn't have to listen to the 18 or 19 whiny-year-olds, you know. Uh, and we couldn't get any more than like 20 or 25 people to show up. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why. We never did figure it out, so we just kind of quit. It was more hassle than it was, you know, building. Yeah, I think the the kids are more they're more interested in playing. You get to be a little older. You have family. You have you have responsibilities. We probably have a profession, some kind of job. It's right. tough to get up and leave. You know. Right. Even if it's a musical job, you can't leave it. Yeah, it's hard. It's different. Yeah. It's just different. Well, if you're a freelance, it means you're turning down work. You're not making money that weekend, yeah. and you're spending some, some money on getting it to NTC. That makes sense. That's kind of like so it's like a double whammy. We, we mentioned uh, drum corps earlier. That's probably why they have their age limit because it's meant for meant for college kids, and yeah, it's got, it serves its purpose. Yeah. So, are okay. you still involved with the NTC now that it's? Oh yeah, I'm still the executive director. Oh, okay, so you're yes, and if I could make a pitch, we're always looking for funding. No pitches allowed no, on the show. I'm no sorry. pitches. Okay, I'm not surprised. I'm kidding, of course. Teddy. Okay, all right. Well, I would understand. Um, no, no. Yeah, we're basically all sponsor supported. We don't get money from ITG or from the National Endowment or anything like that. You know, hmm. so I raise it every year. Sponsor supported, like, like well, Wayward uh, Podcasts. Uh, you're looking for Wayward Podcasts. Yes. Yeah. Um, about two thirds of our budget, more or less, comes from registration fees. But the only people that pay those fees are if they're auditioning. You can walk into any of our events for free. Sure. And the other third comes from either private sponsors <coughs> that I know and have uh, hounded, or instrument companies who you know pay okay. division fees or division sponsorship fees or whatever, or buy uh, ads. Uh, how, uh, how, like, how does one um, approach you about sponsoring the? competition what what cut what price level or well i'll tell you what we're looking for right now is we had a company who's had some hard times i think partly because of covid their business is not (coughs) popping back others are doing pretty well but this company again can remain nameless so we're looking for a three thousand dollar sponsor for uh the large trumpet ensemble division really so and it can be named after a family or company or anything yeah that's what we're looking for right now huh so the so Trumpet Dynamics, the Don Clarino Memorial Scholarship. That would work great. Okay. $3,000. That's what it costs. It's what we call a division. All right. So mm-hmm. that means it's the Don Clarino you know, Large Trumpet Ensemble Division, whatever. Really? Yeah. Uh, typically, they're picked up by instrument companies because they need that presence, you know, mm-hmm. and they get all kinds of advertising perks and a hot button mm-hmm. on our website and all that stuff. <clears throat> so we, we have a tiered, like anybody in sales, have a tiered, you know, the more money you put in, the more perks you get, yeah. whether on the T-shirt or the website or whatever, you know. Well, that's something to think about. 
So we're always looking for sponsors. We'll lose a few every year and gain a few new ones. Okay. One thing I've learned, which I was told very early in the beginning by some people that had a lot of, you know, people wear out or people pass away, you know, endowments <clears throat> look at other things. Maybe they want to give their money to inner city kids. And that's yes. a great cause. You can't argue about that. As opposed to something that's kids that probably kind of have it all. They got private teachers. Some of them have like three of them. Mm-hmm. Three teachers. You got the symphony guy that works with them once every couple months, and the, the you know the, the person that works with them every week, and even a jail. You know, right? Yeah, I think I think so, I think people are called to different different things. People are uh, feel called to minister to some sort of uh, one demographic, but the rich kids need. Guidance too. Oh, they do. Right, they need chance sometimes more than more than the poor kids. Uh, amen. Yeah. yeah, it's not uncommon for us to see uh, parents, especially in the junior senior high division, and the kids will have tuxes on and mom or dad are right at the door. You know, and it's you know um, they they it's good for them to stretch their wings a little bit. You know, in, mm. in a really tough but wonderful world. You know, yes. they need to find out really what they can do and what they can't. Yes. Um, and they need to find it out in a healthy way because you know it's not fair to just tell them they're they're going to get a job you know because they play first year in the blah 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 <laughs> college band or something <laughs> in their performance that's not fair you know because the odds as you know are, are pretty tough hmm. so the sooner they learn that on a healthy and wholesome level right you know right uh, and you know uh, we have uh, audiences at all the uh, all the audition sites are open, free and open to the public. So mom, dad, or anybody can, their friends can walk in and cheer them on. It's kind of cool. You know, but only the finals are actually webcast live, you know, cause we'll, we do have people that'll crash and burn and, you know, in the, in the, like in the uh, quarterfinals, mm-hmm. they're just not quite focused well enough to, or whatever. They're a little freaked out by the level of playing they hear around them. You know how that is. Yeah. You're in the practice room and you hear somebody, oh my God. Yeah. Let me let me ask you something because this has come up and I, I was about to uh, sign off, but this I have this question. I was talking, I, I don't remember who I was speaking to, but it maybe it was Sarah Herbert at Western Kentucky. But um, you go to, let's say you're a hotshot high school kid and you win an audition to go to, let's just say Indiana okay. because we've mentioned that. Mm-hmm. And you get there, and you, um, it, w- at your high school, you're like the big fish in the little pond. You get to Indiana, and you're completely overwhelmed, and you're in that practice room. That practice room is a performance, is it not? If because trying pe- to be a performer, it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because people are, people, they're not, Oh, I see where you're going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, yeah. they hear you, and they're not- intentionally like they're going to look at you they're going to look inside the little window when you're not looking and they see you and in that way it's it's you're practicing but you're still performing right right absolutely huh yeah i mean you get your performance chops in the practice room yeah because people are listening to you is that why they design those practice rooms that way or Maybe maybe that's just a. I have no idea. I yeah. think they want them as small as they can so they can build them cheaper. You know, whatever. Yeah, they probably didn't consult you on how to design a music conservatory, but but you, but you're right. Yeah, but it's I one mean, of the. There's, there's kind of no place to hide if you're going to do yeah. this. You need to get comfortable with making mistakes. Yeah. And learn how to fix them. But they could make this room soundproof, but they choose not to. Well, a lot of them are. But they're, I, they're not really soundproof. They're I mean, they do reasonably well at it. They're but. sort of, but you can still hear them. Oh yeah, and it's yeah. still a, it's still a performance. Yeah, and it, I, I think it's just in the last few months that I realized there's a lot of value in that in that environment. Yeah. Even if you're just playing your scales, you don't want to mess up your scales and embarrass yeah. yourself because you don't know who's listening. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, producer Gabriel, you got any? Words of wisdom for us before we sign off? No. Okay. Well, <laughs> producer Gabriel is pleased with the, our production. Good. We are out of time. I have been with um, Denny Edelbrock, uh, recent, uh, retired from the Pershing Zone Army Brass Quintet and the founder and current executive director of the National Trumpet Competition. And this has just been... Uh, wonderful! I just well, I'm glad you so it. many fun talking to you. So many good stories, and uh, just uh, this, this is why I do this this podcast. I mean, I don't. It's a labor of love for me, and, and it's it. This show keeps me interested in trumpet. I, right? I totally understand because I totally understand, James. Yeah, yeah. 
We need to get little sparks and pops. If it wasn't for this, I, w- I wouldn't want to play. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. But I talk to people like you and other folks, and they just like they just love to share their stories. And so it's it's as much for me as it is for anybody else. Have you done one of these with Vince DiMartino? Uh, years and years ago, oh. I I think it's on my archives on my mobile app. But he's a fun, be a fun. Yeah, he's, I'm sure. I've, I've spoken to his son a couple of times. The Gabriel, he's a yeah, good sure. guy. Yeah, his name is Gabriel too. I know. Right. All right. Well, thank you for pressing play on today's episode, and this is James Newcomb signing off. Well, thanks for pressing play on today's episode. Make sure you press that little subscribe button on your podcast player if you haven't already, so you'll never miss an episode when they publish. And if you want to dive deeper, you can visit me on the web at jamesnewcombontrumpet.com, where you'll find ways to connect with me via social media and even a customized mobile app that has a plethora of material I think you'll find interesting. Again, that's jamesnewcombontrumpet.com. This is James Newcomb signing off.